I'll read out the New King James Version, as is my custom. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, God's Word declares, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth with all the saints who are in Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. For if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we are burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also, helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. We are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now I, under, now I trust you will understand even to the end, as also you have understood us in part, that we are your boast as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this morning... We are going to do a little bit of review, but hopefully you can recall two weeks ago as we introduced 2 Corinthians, we looked at the focus here in the first handful of verses at that which Paul was enduring along with his fellow worker, Timothy, the hands of those in Asia, and that's not unique. He was maltreated in many places. So it's not just the men of Asia that were the issue here. But rather Paul looks at it from a perspective of what is God doing in my life? And what is the purpose for the tribulations, trials, troubles that we encounter? And we looked two weeks ago, if you'll recall, at the necessity to be in the fray, so to speak, in the battle, enduring the pain, the the struggles, the troubles of uh, that spiritual warfare that we might aid others, that we might be a ministry to others, that we don't want to be sat on a shelf watching, we don't want to be spectators um, and be untouched by it just to make sure that I stay comfortable so that I make sure that I don't have to endure what those are enduring. I'll cheer for them, I'll quote-unquote pray for them, I'll, uh, we're going to talk a lot about that this morning. 
I'll uh, think about them, and uh, every now and then I'll throw them a little you know, piece of fruit or something to encourage them, but pretty much I'm going to stay out of it, and I'm going to stay out here, and I'm going to watch it, and uh, I'll certainly wring my hands, show a little concern, wince every now and then, um, but fundamentally stay spectators. We don't want to engage in that. We don't want the the agony that might come upon us for Christ's namesake. But Paul had a very different perspective. He wanted to be fully engaged in the battle because he had his desire to minister as fully as he could. And he had grown by this point to understand the place that suffering has in the ministry of of Christ. That you cannot minister effectively a suffering servant that Isaiah introduces uh, and minister his the results of his suffering without expectation that there will be some suffering on my part. And this is the attitude not only of Paul but all of the apostles. And we saw it in Acts where they walked out every beating rejoicing that they were counted worthy of suffering for his name's sake. That their objective not only was to reach the lost and build a ministry. I don't know if that really building ministry I added. That's kind of a modern thing. Their objective was that they would fill up the sufferings of Christ. That they would complete that which he began. And that was their expectation. Is that if I'm one of Christ and I'm a true disciple of Jesus Christ, then uh, by Christ's own words, uh, if they hated him, they'll hate you. And they expected that. That was a measure for them of their godliness, of their service. And Paul here is maturing even further into this and understanding just how it is that the suffering um, of one servant of God uh, encourages, instructs, challenges, and even rebukes those uh, other believers who may not yet be suffering, may just be entering into a time of suffering, um, but they must be prepared. And again, we go to Acts and we find Paul speaking this everywhere he went, that we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. You've heard me quote that a thousand times if once. Um, we must have tribulation. So he wants to prepare his people from the very beginning for what's coming. This is what's coming. And you see it in my life, see me endure it. But it's not just that you see me suffering because if that's all there was, um, that would be a little discouraging and disheartening. Unfortunately, most of us, that's all we show. What God calls us to is not just to show our suffering. That's not what Paul wants to do here. In fact, the words trouble and tribulation are outnumbered in our text by another word or words, comfort and consolation. That Paul uses that word much more often than the words for trials. What he wanted them to see wasn't his sufferings. What he wanted them to see through his sufferings was Christ's consolation. That is the comfort that comes that man can't get anywhere else but from God. You see, the human man thinks that we go to... um, some medications to get rid of pain. We go, when we're feeling bad, we go to our comfort foods. 
Um, and so we load up on ice cream. That's in my house or, you know, meatloaf and mashed potatoes and gravy and things like that. Um, whatever your comfort foods are, we go to our comfort foods to make us feel better. Um, we, we want people to feel sorry for us. That's why we go on Facebook and, and whine. I mean, tell what our problems are. Um, <clears throat> we want comfort. We, we think that, that that's going to give us that kind of comfort. And Paul says, you know, none of those things really work. The comfort that I'm talking about is from God. It's through the working of God in me and when He works through my suffering to impact others for His name's sake, I can rejoice. So my rejoicing in the pain itself, no, I'm rejoicing in what the pain is producing in these that I'm ministering to. That as I go through this, I see its effect that because I'm willing to get into the fray and fight for the souls of men uh, and endure their own abuse, even while I'm trying to reach them, I see that some are being saved. And that, that power, that that privilege of seeing that occur is what moves us to not only continue to minister, but to continue to suffer if need be. We can suffer more and more. And so we have come down to looking at Paul's objective, which is not that he never have to endure suffering, but rather that as long as it's producing something for the kingdom's sake in the church, it is well worth it. And it will be rejoiced in. Well, we're going to press this a little bit further to see just exactly what Paul is talking about by going into verses 8 and following. Before we do so, let's go Lord in prayer. Our great God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your love for us. We thank You for the opportunity to look into Your Word. We are sobered by it. It is a great privilege, but there is also a great responsibility and accountability for every word spoken now. Lord, that we might be attentive to it as men who must give an account to a holy, holy, holy God. And so we pray for your guardianship over this time. We surrender our thoughts, words, ideas to you and our attitudes. That we might uh, be moldable by the power of your word, the working of your Holy Spirit. We do thank you for this place and time. Pray you might work in our midst. Not that we are deserving of it, but we beg for your grace and mercy this hour. Christ Jesus' name, amen. Paul picks up in verse 8, and he begins to deliberate. And he's going to do this several times in Second Corinthians. He's going to begin deliberating a little bit on what it is exactly he's talking about when he's talking about suffering. And I think... For us, we need this. We need these descriptions. And he's going to be more specific later on. Uh, here's more of a generalized thing and really 
three categories that he's going to give us, three or four categories. I think there's only three categories and one he expands. Um, but we're going to be given what is it that we're talking about when we're talking about suffering for Christ. And so he doesn't want us to be ignorant, starts off in verse 8. And so, brethren, neither do I want you to be ignorant of what real suffering is. It is time we really understood it and grasp what is involved. For Paul, his trouble was in Asia, and he begins to describe it, um, what was going on. And remember, he saw this not as a detriment to his ministry, but the uh, evidence that his ministry was effective, that he had real vital ministry in Asia because these were going on. But we want to look at what he saw as trouble or as tribulation or trials uh, to what extent and then what its purpose was, what it was doing in him, what it was doing in them and how we need to relate to these. We find him beginning this description in the middle of verse 8. It says that we were burdened beyond measure. This is the first uh, description he's going to have on that. He's going to expand these much later in the book, and we're going to get to it. And I'm going to reference back to this verse, verse 8. He was burdened beyond measure. Uh, that he's like, I, I don't know the words to say. I don't know the measure to use to describe the trouble that we were engaged in, the, the depth, the breadth, the width of what we were up against. I don't know how to describe it to you. Is that intense? And its difficulty in measuring it is because the likelihood is, overwhelmingly, that the Corinthians had never themselves experienced it. What measure can I use with you when you have experienced so little compared and contrasted to what I'm dealing with here in Asia on a daily basis? And I think I fear for us, we have no measure of what it really means to suffer for Christ. We are pretty sure that that means that um, somebody doesn't like us, someone isn't stopped being my friend on Facebook. Um, it means that I didn't get the promotion that I deserved. Um, it means that uh, someone's going to take away my guns. I mean, my car won't start. I'm picking on some of you now. I know what's going on this week. It means that I have a crowded schedule and I didn't get any me time. We think that's suffering. And so when Paul says, I'm beyond measure, we were burdened, this load that we are carrying, that this trouble that we are loaded down with, I don't know how to measure it before you. And we live in much the same circumstances as those people in Corinth who just, it hadn't really been extensively costly to them. It was beginning to be because they were starting to implement 1 Corinthians. They were starting to live obedient lives. And so he's going to talk about the fact that they are beginning to get into, into that, that realm of what it means to really walk with Christ and have the world hate you. But the fact is, when we hear reports of what's going on in other countries, we don't have a means of measuring it. We can read the reports and the accounts and... We can go, oh, this is terrible, this is terrible. 
I kind of smile a little bit when I listen to the radio and they're worked up about this pastor in Iran that was arrested. And, and I'm like, as if it's a really big deal. Um, yeah, he might be getting uh, mistreated there. Uh, as an American citizen, though, he's he's got some protections and privileges, even in a place like Iran. Um, and we're all into getting these guys free out of these jails um, as though that's uh, a horrible thing. I want to share with you from my understanding of Scripture, that's good news. Which of the apostles was not imprisoned for his faith? Many of them died at the hands of the Romans and the Jews. We have these characters that are brought up, and, and I contend mostly just for fundraising purposes, sorry, that are brought forward, and we ignore the plight of thousands upon thousands that have no food, that are tortured, that are assaulted, that are abused, and we are largely ignorant of them, and we really don't even measure it. It doesn't even impact us that we even lose our appetite for one meal. We cannot associate with it. Even having been to some of those countries and, and to sit in a room with a group of young pastors that are, and I can't grasp it. I can't grasp that this young man is getting trained for the ministry to go back to his hometown to replace his pastor who was burned to death in his house by his neighbors. How do I talk to a noob? I have no measure for that. I think of my neighbor's egg my house that I'm being abused. And we have this idea and we mope around and drag our feet and oh how could this happen to me how can god let this happen to me and the question really that should come across our lips is why am i not suffering more not why is god allowing this to happen to me but why isn't the world doing more against me my conclusion must be that i'm too much like them i have not engaged them sufficiently in the name of Christ for them to hate me, which makes me apparently living more like them than living like Christ. And for that, we should be ashamed. And Paul, and you're going to see this coming out against the Corinthians when Paul starts to say, okay, you need me to be specific? Let me talk to you about beatings and stoning to death. And, and let me talk to you about the things. You, know, you think you're over there and because you know, your, your uh, business isn't doing very well because you're not making enough money. Not that you're not making any money. You're not making enough money. I mean, that's what we're really complaining about here in this country, right? It's not that companies are unprofitable. It's that they're not making enough. I remember when Intel was laying off because the reports came out they didn't meet projections. Oh, 
Trouble, trouble, trouble. We didn't meet projections. What does that mean? We only made a few million instead of 10 million. I don't know what the numbers were, but they didn't quite make enough millions. So they better lay people off because we didn't make enough. We think that's trouble. This is how warped our measure of it is. Paul says, in our trouble, we are burdened beyond any of your measures. And frankly, the softness of the American church is very evident. And out of that physical softness is spiritual weakness. That being in a country where we have the liberty to worship openly like this is maybe not the privilege we keep calling it. Maybe it's a curse. Because there's no cost. We have no measure of what real trouble is. Not only was he burdened beyond measure, but the next one was above strength. And again, this is very foreign to us. Um, because we have been ingrained that we're Americans and uh, we'll figure it out. We, by our strength, by our uh, technology, by our sheer willpower, by our work, by whatever it is, we will figure out a solution. And Paul says, listen, the things I'm doing uh, is not because of anything in me. It is well beyond my strength. It's above me. The strength of man can't answer this. This is um, more than I can physically endure what's going on. And when we look at Paul's testimony, we look at it and our conclusion is, yeah, the guy was on a, a, a garbage heap. Everyone figured he was dead. I mean, that's pretty much above your strength when you're lying there assumed dead. God raised him up. We find that Paul recognized his weakness. But you see, we, can, we approach problems from a very different perspective. We approach problems as though we have all the resources necessary if we could just figure it out well enough that we can resolve these in our own strength. And therein lies the great danger that Paul is preaching against here in this passage is self-reliance. Because as soon as we are self-reliant, guess who you are not reliant upon? That is God Almighty. And so Paul says, listen, this is above our strength. We don't have the force of arms. We don't have the, the fortitude. We don't have the, the, the muscle to deal with this. It's beyond us. This is the kind of trouble he was engaged in. He did not have the human resources to address these. And when we look at it, we would say, um, I'm up against such odds that, oh, that we would be up against such odds that we look at our natural resources and say they aren't anywhere near close enough. And so 
Um, I don't despair. That's that's the way we would go. If we ever did come up against something that we don't have resources to address, whether it's medically, legally, physically, financially, any of those things, um, we, we, we would just despair. Why? Because of our spiritual weakness. Paul says, listen, when it's beyond measure, I, can't, I don't even know how to, where to begin. When it's above my strength, I don't have the resources. Now, I'm starting in the right place. The third description that he has is so that we despaired even of life. He figured he was a dead man. He was already at that point. He didn't figure that there was a lot of hope of... He he didn't expect to live. There was many times I think Paul was pretty much figuring, oh, this is it, I'm done. How many times have you gotten to that point in your life? In your suffering? I guess this is it. I I guess God wants me to go home. I guess I'm done. What does this mean, despair of life? Not to despair, that is, that um, he's not going to trust in God. That's very evident in the verses to follow. So he's going to expand this idea of what it meant that he despaired even of life. Um, The reaffirmation, he's going to repeat this third aspect of his suffering is in verse 9. Yes, let me explain what it means to despair even of life. We had the sentence of death in ourselves. I mean, from every human perspective, I should have been dead several times. Whether it's through shipwreck, whether it's through stoning, whether it's through these, uh, you know, strip my back and start hitting me with a rod. And he went through that a few times. He figured it was it. He was a condemned man. Condemned by men. And that's okay. He was content with that. He was satisfied with that. Why? Because he was trusting in the Lord that I have served the Lord faithfully and if it comes to this end, this end called death, I'm okay with it. So I'm not despairing in God in my relationship with God, but I figure this is it. This is I'm done. I'm through. God's finished with me. I'm going to die. And he faced that multiple times. And we're not talking about Oh, I think I'm going to die. I'm in the, you know, the, this Mack truck is barreling down on me in the interstate. That's not what this is about. This is about accidents. This is whether it be traffic or industrial, or whatever. This is about um, such opposition against himself as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ that men were intent upon killing him. And he says, I'm suffering that. I'm more than happy to die for your comfort in Christ. Just like my Savior with joy suffered the cross. Why? Because of our salvation. And so he looked at the cross and he looked past the cross and saw those that would be saved and so he endured the cross. The scriptures tell us. And because he endured the cross, not for his own, but for us, not for his own self, but for us, God has highly exalted him and 
in Paul's perspective, is that's what he was facing. He says, I got the sentence of death, um, and I'm scheduled to be slaughtered. I'm on my way to be stoned. I'm on my, I'm on this, I'm in a shipwreck. I'm, I'm getting beat to the point of losing my life. And these were the kinds of things he was enduring, but he was looking right past them, right past the suffering to its accomplishment, just as Christ did for us. He said, listen, if it means that more people get saved, I'm more than happy, whether it be to die or to live, to live as Christ, to die as gain. This is the same guy that wrote that. And so he was ready to die. He wasn't afraid of it, but he just figured life was done. I have the sense of death. And then he begins to describe for us why that was so important for God to put him through that. I don't know why when we talk about why do the righteous suffer that we don't come to this verse very often. We talk about Job. We use other passages. We go into the Psalms. All those are certainly beneficial. But uh, in the church age, for the believers, um, this has to be one of the top verses you're going to turn to when you want to discover um, the purpose of suffering. Paul in verse 9 says, why do we have the sense of death in ourselves? Why is this we burn beyond measure? Why is this above our strength that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead? Wow. So I don't trust in me. But in God. The one who raises the dead and he's going to talk a little bit about the history of what God's done for us and will do for us. Um, but uh, from his perspective, the reason he needed to suffer this was that so he could fully trust in God. So he could learn what that kind of life was like. And so he's going to talk about, you know, I asked God to take this thorn of the flesh away from me. Um, I asked him three times, and what was God's answer? My grace is sufficient. I'm enough for you. I'll take care of you. We sang, and I don't know if you noticed the hymn selections today. Uh, God will take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. Really? But you see, that's not generally our perspective. Our perspective is, I've got to figure out a solution. I've got to work my resources to such a way to resolve this. And we're well down that road before it ever dawns upon us, maybe I need to get on my knees and pray. But the reason I'm convinced that we don't, sometimes we don't even get on our knees to pray till we're unsolved it, our, even worse, made it worse by our solutions, um, is because um, we don't really face this kind of trouble. We face trouble that we can handle. And that's a very dangerous place for the church to be. Very dangerous place for the Christian to be in his walk that we can just handle whatever comes down the road. And as long as we're in that state of mind, we will never get to what Paul describes here as being trained to trust in the Lord, the one who even overcomes death itself through the resurrection of the dead. He says, I've got the sentence of death on me. 
And I have personally known that I was a hair from death by violence of men because of my testimony of Christ. Not just because I'm, I'm old and my body's wearing out, um, but out of violent persecution. And there is a difference. All men die. He says, I was on that very verge of death because of the violent persecution. And why did God let that happen to me? So that I would learn to trust in Him more fully. And by so doing, I become an even better worker for His kingdom. And you Corinthians are the benefactors. And why is it not just okay for you to suffer, but maybe best for you to suffer? Is for those same reasons. Number one, that you might learn to trust in God. But listen to us when we encounter, I'm not going to call it trouble, difficulties. When things don't go our way, what do we learn? We don't learn to trust God. Our response is to blame God, is it not? To point our little finger at why, how could he let this happen to me? Whether it be a child that dies, whether it be a job that's lost, um, we, how could God let this happen? I've been faithfully serving him as though that means I deserve what? Oh, just to be able to sit back and relax. I deserve a painless service to God. See, that's our attitude. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not, fundamentally, that's my attitude. I've been raised in this country too. I've spent 50 years here. um, And I'm telling you, that is consistently what Christians think. And when I hear them complain because they don't get enough hours at work, because they don't get paid enough, because they don't get treated well enough, because they get too many hours of work, um, because their their car doesn't run quite well enough and it's not nearly as nice and, it, and the AC doesn't work. Oh, Lord, help us if we have to live without air conditioning or heat. I forgot to turn on the heat in the building yesterday. So I came out of here early this morning to do so. I shouldn't have. I should have just left it at 60 degrees in here this morning. And I came in and um, just so you could suffer and you'd feel done something for God today. I went to church and it was even cold. No, our, our response to God is not to trust Him, but to blame Him. But when you go into cultures that genuinely know real persecution, violent opposition, when they have the hatred of men upon them and they know it because the men are not uh, uh, constrained in it by their society, we have such constraint upon us and, and it's the wor- we, have, we live in the worst place to live in in the world to be a Christian is here. This is the very worst place I'm convinced, on the planet, to live a Christian life. Where nobody cares whether you do or don't. Because the prevailing attitude is, you know, you can, I don't care, you know, if you want to sleep with men or sleep with women, that's up to you, you know. Um, I can't judge you. 
And if you want to, you know, if you want to do that, or, I mean, we just don't want to call anything wrong and not, and anything you want is right. And, and what a horrible place to live in to live out the Christian walk. Um, no one's allowed to hate you because it's a crime in our country. Hate crimes. Horrible thing. But in those countries where there's the real expression of hate, I'm convinced the world hates us. They're just too cowardly to express it. They don't blame God. You go and talk to them. Uh, I haven't talked extensively. I have in India a little bit. Um, but uh, I've read their testimonies. And you can see it in their words and in their expressions. Um, you know, God's taking care of me. Here I am in prison and there's no food and I'm just withering away and, and, uh, um, and I just go to God and say, God, this is my condition and, and if I'm going to die by starvation, if that's what you want, so be it. Um, but if you want me to keep ministering to these people in these cells, um, you're going to have to take care of me because no one else is. And, and the next day they come in and dump a bushel of rotten apples on you, which was perfect for her. She hadn't eaten so long she had no teeth. She couldn't have eaten fresh apples. Her gums would have bled. Rotten apples is all she could have eaten. And the guards thought they were being mean to her by giving her rotten apples. But God was taking care of her. Kind of makes you wonder when you complain that the steak's too tough. Doesn't it? We don't have a measure for this. Because for all of us, I'm convinced, we've never really been tested to these degrees. And that is why our attitude, attitude of entitlement, really, that we have been raised in, believes that we are entitled to live comfortable, painless, worry-free lives. And if God doesn't give us that, we will shake our bony finger at him and say, if you're not going to do that for me, I'm not going to serve you. And this is the condition of the American church. And that's why we are living in the worst place possible to be a Christian. Because we have not learned to trust in God instead of ourselves. We have never come to the point of needing the power of the resurrection to be at work in our life to resolve the issues we confront, we are confronted with. Paul says, God in the past has delivered us from a great death. He's delivered you from eternal death. By his resurrection. That's the past. That's what he has delivered you from. And Paul says, listen, if I have been delivered from eternal death, um, then death has no hold on me. He has delivered us from the great death. He's delivered us from the, the great evil that is eternal separation from God and a lake of fire. He's delivered us from that, past tense. 
He does deliver us throughout all that we have to endure here. Whether we acknowledge it or are thankful for it or not, He is actively doing that. He shall continue to do that. And then He goes on and says that, listen, in whom we trust that He will still deliver us. Past, present, future, it's all there. I can trust the Lord. And Paul had an understanding of trusting in the Lord so much deeper than anyone in this room because he suffered. I can't measure this. I can't do it. I can't stand up here and say, I'm ready to do this because I'm as soft as you guys. (laughs) And maybe just as spiritually weak. And we can sit here and say, I would love, I would, I would, I would, I would, I would, I would. But the fact is, is that when we do encounter slight opposition, what do we do? We worry, we complain, and we blame God. What does that show? That we trust Him? Oh no. It shows that we're sinners. Because all those are sin. Think about it. Our first response is, Worry. How am I going to solve this? What's going to happen if this doesn't if this doesn't get fixed? Oh, what's what? what? Complaint. Do all things without murmuring, complaining. God's word says. I've got it so bad. No one ever had as bad as I've got it. You don't know who my co-workers are. You've never had to live in the house with my dad. Blame. God, how could you let this happen to me? How dare you? I've been serving you. I deserve health. I deserve wealth. I deserve prosperity. And we've been preached at that Long enough that we really believe it. Even when we condemn it. In our heart we believe it. We deserve it. So, we don't trust in the Lord. What do we trust in? We trust in insurance policies for life, health, auto, and homeowners. Let's be honest. That's who you're trusting in. Take care of the material things in your life. Think about that. I pay a couple hundred dollars a year for something I call, they call, everyone calls life insurance. And God says, trust in me. You see, our weak spirituality is built upon the absence of trouble, which makes us the weakest Christians. The weakest church on the globe today. Why are we so scattered? Why are we so disunified?
Because we have so much wealth and so much time because of that wealth. We are so concerned about our entertainment. And yes, we are going to have church tonight. I know that the world's going to think it's suffering to have to go to church instead of do whatever they're doing today on this holiday. But um, that's not suffering either. We don't know what it means to trust in the Lord. For we have not been pressed beyond measure above our strength to the point of having a death sentence on us. This is why the ministry of comfort in the church is so weak. Is because we ourselves have not learned the lesson of trusting the Lord. We can't direct others by example or experience into that same trust. And this is why some of the most valuable relationships for me are those who do live in those circumstances. For it is not, I think, really for us to go teach the world. We think we've got the corner of the market on theology. Um, we have the corner of the market on theological discussion, maybe. But we don't really have, understand our theology because we don't understand our God. Theology 101. Do we trust the Lord? Sometimes I think we as a church need to take a trip into some of these dangerous places so that they can teach us. Because they know what it means to trust the Lord when they're sneaking through the jungle with people hunting them so they can go find one page of a Bible that's been offered them. And we sit here and fight over what version you got. We should be ashamed. For we're not trusting the Lord. We don't really grasp the concept, for we don't suffer. And that means that we can't do the last thing in our passage, verse 11. We can't help. (laughs) Paul says, listen, ultimately we're trusting the Lord. He's going to deliver us. He has in the past. He delivers from the great death. He is going to deliver us in this. We're going to trust that he's going to still deliver us. And you also can help together in prayer for us uh, that when we are delivered, we can not only thank God, but thank you. And brethren, the reason we don't pray is because we don't trust. We don't trust because we've never really had to. And so our praying is weak. We aren't helping. We're actually doing injury. Think about it. Think about our prayers. We pray for our own comforts, our own entertainment. We pray for more when we've already been given more than 98% of the world. And we pray for more for ourselves.
We can't even help others with our praying. We have suffered so little. At least the Corinthians have suffered sufficiently that they recognize the need to be in prayer for Paul. To help him endure and overcome and, and continue in his ministry in the midst of the trouble. But we don't, we've suffered so little that we don't even, we don't even help by praying. For what crosses our minds in our prayer, if we go to prayer meeting at all, what crosses our minds is, is well, you know, my, my big toe hurts and, and my poor wife uh, doesn't have a job and, and our job got, well, she's been offered three cents, but that, we're still going to pray about that. And, and, you know, we've got a really tight schedule and, and i got to get all these things done. And, and uh, <clears throat> We don't even pray well. We've suffered so little. We're not helping anybody. I can't pronounce their names, Pastor. I'd pray for them, but I can't pronounce their names. Well, learn. Or is that too hard? Are you that far on the shelf that you can't even stretch yourself to learn Karupavani's name? It's a long one. I've had to carefully figure it out. It took me a while. Um, and after 10 minutes, I finally got it. And I said it for a day and a half, every hour almost, just so I could get myself to pronounce it. So I could pray for her instead of for Prasanna's sister, that girl with that long name. that I didn't care enough to learn so I could pray for her by name. Because I didn't want to have to do all that hard work of learning a foreign name. See, we can't even pray. We have suffered so little for our Savior. Well, I'm preaching to myself a little mostly, but um, today, do we go out and search for suffering? No, we go out and live righteously, radically righteous. And we throw that righteousness out there in our world and we put it in their face till they hate us. That's what we do. We don't go out there and try to make suffering happen. We're not going to go out there and beat ourselves and, and fast till we're, our teeth fall out. No, we're going to go out there and live righteously and godly in this present world looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ with the expectation that real, radical righteousness the world will hate and oppose and we will trust in the Lord to get us through it. Then our prayer meetings might be worth attending. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you.